listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, I, I love you too, Timmy. Um, <laughs> don't, don't you love Timmy? Annette and I think it's fun. We love this. We have, we'll be out to dinner with maybe a senior adult couple or visiting with a senior adult couple. And, and, and many times this happens. They'll... Usually it's the lady who says, almost a little embarrassed, she'll say, we just love Timmy. <laughs> like it's a guilty pleasure or something, you know. <laughs> like we shouldn't because of the way he dresses, but we can't help it. We do, you know. <laughs> I'm excited that uh, this summer Timmy's going to be preaching, I think, a couple of times. And, uh, and so you'll get to, get to hear him preach. Um, Today is our last uh, Sunday in this series, um, inspired and shaped by a book by James Bryan Smith called A Magnificent Story. And um, I'm excited to, uh, to have these few minutes with you this morning to talk to you again about Jesus. You remember how we started this series? Does anybody remember? I, I began with a story about somebody who is very precious to me. Do you remember who that was? Seriously? <laughs> You're just guessing now. Um, Sadie, for heaven's sakes. Do you remember how I talked about uh, Sadie being at my house and, and we wanted to watch a movie and, and I'm saying, Sadie, come over here and sit by Ricky. Uh, that's my little granddaughter. She's four and a half. And we'll watch the movie together. And she goes, but Ricky, I don't want to just watch it. I want to be in it. And she meant I want to stand right here in front of the television where there's lots of room and she sung every word of every song and she said almost every word of the dialogue and she was dancing when they were dancing and she was acting out the parts and she was up on the ottoman when they were in the boat and she was rowing and she wanted to be in the story. She didn't want to just watch the story. Well, my wife Annette was in Cincinnati without me a couple of weeks ago when I was out of the country and she learned that there was Disney and ice in Cincinnati. And so she says to Brittany and Tim, let's take Sadie to Disney on Ice. Um, it was a rendition of the movie Frozen. And so they go, what do you think Sadie wore to that experience? <laughs> well, I'm just telling you, she didn't wear a pair of jeans or some yoga pants, okay? I mean, if Sadie is going to go watch Elsa in Frozen, Sadie is going to be Elsa, right? And so there she is. And so Annette said, Rick, it was one of the greatest nights of our lives. She said, um, there was Sadie, and uh, she was all dressed up, and, um, and she sung every word of every song, and, and she just watched, she said, I didn't even watch what happened on the ice. I just watched Sadie the whole night, you know? And so I said, they, they were selling souvenirs, I guess, yeah. I said, what, what did you buy her? And you know what Annette said? Whatever she wanted, just... <laughs> I, I, I love this. And that said to me, Rick, Sadie wasn't the only one, of course. There were hundreds of little girls dressed like Elsa. They were everywhere. And it underlines where we started this conversation. That we were created in such a way that we don't want to just hear a good story. We want to be in a good story. I don't want to just hear about something good that's happening. 
I want to be part of something good that's happening. And so just, just, just lean in for a minute, will you? God, in this very moment, is inviting you to be part of His story. The most important thing that is happening on this earth today is what God is up to. The most exciting thing that's happening on this earth today is what God is up to. And God is inviting you to be part of what He is doing. And I remember when I was 19 years old, I said, I want to be part of what God's doing. I want to be part of His story. And morning after morning, still yet, I get up and I say to myself, I still want to be part of what God is doing. There's this awesome summary of the story of God's work in this world in the book of Philippians. Do you want to open your Bible with me to chapter 2 of the book of Philippians? And Paul gives us a poem, a summary. It becomes the center of his entire letter to this group of believers. And we'll start in chapter 2, verse 5, okay? Now, what's going on is that uh, Paul is in this conversation that you really should look out for others. And in fact, he says, you should put the interest of others above your own interest. He says, in fact, you, you really should have the attitude of Jesus when it comes to this conversation of your relationships with other people. Because Jesus was always looking out for everybody else. When you think about it, Jesus was never looking out for Himself. With Jesus, it was always about everybody else. And Paul says, that's the attitude you should have in your relationships with one another. The, the, same, relation that, the same attitude that Jesus had when it came to others. He was always looking out for everybody else. So, Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same attitude, the same thought patterns as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't take all the privileges that he could have taken in regard to who he was. Rather, he made himself nothing. He goes from the highest position possible to the lowest position possible by taking on the very nature of a servant or a slave, being made in human likeness, and so being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, and he becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross, the lowest death a person could die. Now, this is where a real shift happens in Paul's thinking, okay? Therefore, God exalted him back to the highest place, and he gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
Love it. Just love it. So, last week we talked about Paul writing a letter from one of his many imprisonments for sharing the gospel so boldly. And so this week we're in another one of those letters that Paul writes to a group of people from prison. This time not to the people in Colossae, the Colossians, but to the people in Philippi, the Philippians, okay? And he has received a financial gift from them. It was transported to him by a friend whose name was Epaphroditus. And so Paul receives this financial gift that will support him while he's in prison because in Paul's day in prison, somebody had to bring you food. There was no government to supply food for you and the cares that you would need in prison. And so they say, we're going to help supply your food and needs in prison. And so he writes a letter and he thanks them for their gift of the way you're taking care of me while I'm being in prison. But then he also writes much more in the letter. And at the very center of the letter is this poem that establishes who Jesus is and what he accomplished. He begins with this idea of the incarnation, the very nature of God. He moves through the life of Jesus the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. It's really good news. I have a friend whose name is Dane, D-A-N-E. The only friend I have named Dane. And Dane told me the story of his life one day. Grew up in a really good Christian home. Went to a good church. He said, my grandpa was our pastor. A lot of love. But as I moved through my teenage years, I got off track. And I started making bad decisions, which led to more bad decisions, which led to more bad decisions. And finally one day, he says, I found myself standing in front of a judge. The judge's name is John Miller. He attends our church here. He now works as a lawyer, but at that time he was serving as a judge. And he said, the judge says to me, wait a minute. I think I know who you are. Aren't you Bill Robinson's son? And Dane stands there, guilty of a crime. And he says yes, and he drops his head. And John Miller says to Dane, you're better than this. You can be so much more than this. You come from a great Christian home. This is not who you are. And Dane said those words of that judge got hold of me. And I began to believe that he was right. And that was the day my life began to turn around. And it was pretty awesome because just in April, a few months ago, right here, about where I'm standing, Dane was kneeling at an altar that was placed here on the platform. And a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene put her hand on his head and said, Dane... I ordain you a minister in the church of the Nazarene. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. 
And so then, at his reception in the atrium, guess who was standing there to put his arms around him and tell him he was proud of him? John Miller. <laughs> you know, when you're getting ready to do something for somebody you love, how, how awesome it is. Annette and I, we're, we admit it, we're nuts about our, our girls. We, we love them to death. We sometimes think about how we can bless them or how we can surprise them or how we can give them something. And, and when we come up with an idea, we love it. We, we love to like take them on a vacation or just anything to try to just lift their life a little bit, you know. And, 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 and Annette and I look at each other and we say to each other after we, did you see their face? You see how happy they are? I mean, we just, we love it. I, it just brings us incredible joy. And Jesus is positioning Himself in obedience and humility to do something awesome for the human race. This is way more than anything that we could do for our kids. I mean, this is like big. He is going to liberate humanity from shame and from guilt and from sin and from death. Right? <laughs> the reason I want to stand here this morning and talk about Jesus and talk about the cross is because... And the reason I want to remind you that God is inviting you into His story is because the magnificent story has life-changing power. The story of Dane Robinson has been repeated over and over and over and over again. And many of you would say, it's my story. God invited me into His story. And His story has life-changing power. My life was changed. I'm watching other people's lives be changed as well. So, let me just talk to you for a little while about this story that God's inviting you to. I, I think it's difficult sometimes when we just pop open the Bible and try to understand fully what's going on and, and where Paul is coming from and what he's talking about. So in his world, there's an emperor, uh, Caesar, Augustus, and uh, he was known for his accomplishments. The, the, the truth of the matter is, he brought an end to a long-running Roman civil war, which in turn essentially brought peace to the known world. People were amazed at Augustus' accomplishments. And because of his accomplishments, the only illogical conclusion that they could arrive at was that he must be a god. What human could achieve this accomplishment? And so, they were happy to ascribe to him that title. And he was happy to accept it. And so history gives us an inscription of Augustus, the Emperor Caesar. Listen to these words. Son of God, Augustus, ruler of all land and sea. Now, when you understand that that's the world Paul is living in, and that's the context from which he writes... You can begin to imagine the contrast that we find in Jesus, Son of God. So when you're a ruler, what do you do? Whatever you want to do. You're, you're the king, right? 
We had these friends in uh, Cincinnati. Their last names were King. We'd go to their house and I would say, I've eaten like a king. You're saying to yourself, not only does he preach, he's a comedian as well. Well, when you're king, you're, you're in charge. You're, you're Lord, right? And you lord it over and you exercise authority over. And so one day when Jesus was with his disciples, he, he brings up this concept. And he says, you know, these Gentile rulers, they lord it over their subjects. And they exercise authority over others. And I can imagine he starts shaking his head. And then he says, not so with you. You want to be great? And you become a servant. You want, you want to be a leader one day? You want people to look up to you? It's not by snapping your fingers and making people do what you want them to do. No, no, no. It's, it's you become a servant to them. And Jesus then says to his disciples, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. What a contrast. It's unheard of. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You, you, you want to retaliate and say, wait a minute, you are God. You can do whatever you want. And Jesus says, this is what I want. I know. I know I'm God. And I know I can do whatever I want. And this is the way I want it. I don't want to be served. I want to serve. And, and when Jesus understands his own deity, it is not to get, it is to give. It's not to be served, it's to serve. It's not to exercise dominance over others. It's, it's to give his life away. Now we have symbols in our society and symbols mean things to us, right? Um, I've got a symbol here for you, okay? What does that represent? I thought you would say BMW. I'm not stupid. I can see the letters right there. But it's a symbol that represents the name of a company. Do you know the name of the company? Barbarian Motor Works. There we go. Here's another symbol. Now that's just a... I, I just tossed one to you that's really easy right there, right? Let me give you another. Yeah. Symbols have meaning, right? in our lives. Let me give you another. Well, I don't know what happened to the red, but it was there. We'll go with another one. Under Armour. You're right. And one more. And then the last one. Now, some of you said cross. That is a cross, but it's a symbol for something in our world. For the crucifixion of Jesus. Do, do you know that many people argue that it is the most recognized symbol in the world? Even more than the yellow M for McDonald's or the red for Coca-Cola. 
the most recognized symbol in the world is a cross. And here's what, here's what Paul says in Philippians 2. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. So I, I probably don't have to remind you that, that the cross was the cruelest form of Roman persecution. In most situations, there was torture before the cross. Jesus experienced that as well when he was whipped before he was put on the cross. Lots of blood loss, lots of suffering in the beating. It was a, it was a death that was reserved for the lowliest in society. It was a death reserved for slaves. And so Jesus was given this death. Then he was hung on the cross with nails and the binding of ropes. And the death was slow for most people. It would take hours and hours and hours. And sometimes days, there was blood loss, there was thirst, there was hunger, there was suffocation before there was death. And it was in humility and obedience that Jesus died. I mean, isn't there a verse about calling a bunch of angels to rescue him? But Paul says, no, he, he didn't do that. He, he emptied himself of all the privileges of God. And in humility and obedience, he accepted death. Because Jesus was never looking out for himself. He was always looking out for everybody else. It's not about me. It's about everybody else. And Paul says, what if in your relationships with each other, you had that mindset and you had that attitude? What if in humility and obedience, you put everybody else above yourself and you follow Jesus? And, and this, is the, this is the do part of the sermon, okay? It's, it's God invites you to be a part of His story. And God's story is life-changing, Right? And, and now what you do is you accept the forgiveness that is offered through Jesus and you accept the invitation to become a part of what God is doing on earth and then you begin to follow the example of Jesus and live like Him. And so we talked a few weeks ago, but I just wanted you to see this one more time. It's this idea of saying, okay, here's the priorities of my life. Here's how it works. God is first. You remember this little list we put up a few weeks ago? Others are second. And, and then my life is in God's hands. I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about everybody else. I'm not looking out for me. I'm looking out for everybody else. It's, it's whatever God wants. It's obedience. It's God's first and then others second. And then my life is in God's hands. That's the life that Jesus lived. And that's the life that Paul says, what if you came along and began to follow Christ in that way and you lived that life too? 
I, you know, this is going to sound like a cheap shot. It's not intended to be, but if you and I followed Jesus to that extent, people wouldn't be running out of the churches. They would be running to our churches. Now, there's a danger in this conversation. And it's the danger that we've talked about the entire series. And, and the danger of just isolating a part of the gospel story, the magnificent story. And so if we just limit it to the cross, then we can, we can be very misleading and, and we can misunderstand terribly the gospel story. It's easy to get to this place of, well, I guess God was mad because I was bad and Jesus took my beating and I'm so glad that he did. It's easy for us to see Jesus as the victim on the cross. Bless his heart. Look what they did to him. And to let him only be the victim. But you've got to remember that Jesus goes to the cross willingly. You have to remind yourself that this was part of a plan. And somehow Paul and the early church did not misunderstand it. Jesus was the precious Lamb of God who took upon Himself the sins of the world. But on the cross it was always, it was also the crowning Him as King. And the resurrection confirms it. And Paul says because of that event every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus is the King and He invites you into this story, this new kingdom, the kingdom of God that's taken place on earth. Don't you want to be a part of what God is doing on the earth today? Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? And we are citizens, invited to be citizens in His kingdom. And the values of the kingdom of God are very different than the values of the kingdom of the world. It's where we say God is first and others are second and my life's in God's hands. And the values of the king are very different than the values of the kings of this world. And so here we are this morning with this awesome invitation in front of us. Do you want to be part of my story? And I think in the morning when you wake up, you have to answer the question again. I still want to be part, God, of what you're doing on this earth. When you came in the door today, you received a card and Harlan mentioned it to you earlier. There's, there's a couple places that I would love for you to consider checking if this is what you need to do today. In a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing together. We're going to celebrate our citizenship in heaven. We're going to declare Jesus as King. We're going we're gonna to worship Him together. But I know every Sunday when I stand to preach, there's people in front of me who have not yet made Jesus Christ 
the king of their life. They have not yet come to this point of saying, I'm accepting the invitation to be part of what God is doing. I want him to start in my life. And so if you will just take that card and write your name on the card and information where we can contact you and just check the box that says I'm interested in accepting Christ or just write me a note. Because here's what I'm challenging you to do, okay? I'm challenging you to take a first step. I'm challenging you to get into a conversation with somebody about where your life is and where it's going. You say, Rick, I, I think about it. I sometimes wonder how long it will be before I make this decision to make Jesus Christ my Lord, to be forgiven of my sins, to come to know Christ personally. I just haven't gotten there yet. But my story is not magnificent. My story is not good. It's not beautiful. It's not full of truth. My story needs to change. And so I'm just saying to you this morning, here is an opportunity for you. Write your name on the card. Give me a phone number. Say, Rick, give me a call. Could we meet? Could we talk? Or can I meet with another pastor? Could I sit down with somebody and begin a conversation about what it would mean for me to take this step? And then before you leave today, there's connect boxes as you walk out every door of the room. Just drop it in one of the boxes or hand it to somebody at a welcome center. And so our commitment to you is that we will follow up immediately with you and have a conversation with you about that next step. Making a decision this morning to write your name down, to put down a phone number. may be the most important decision you've made in your life to this date. And I challenge you to do it if you're leaning and needing to do it. So let's stand together, shall we? And let's respond to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ through our singing. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.